If you have your Bibles this, tonight, I want you to turn to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to be looking at the first two verses of that wonderful chapter of Scripture in 1 John. While you're turning, let me just remind you that uh, beginning tomorrow at uh, noon, really about a quarter till, uh, we'll begin to have our Holy Week services. And if you work uh, and you're nearby, you'll be out by a quarter till one. You won't have any problem being quarter to one. We have three different messages. I'm going to have the first two and then Jeff will have the last one. Uh, but tomorrow we look at the Passover and how the last Passover was the first Lord's Supper and how those things are intertwined and one handed off to the other certain things. And then we're going to look at the prophecy of Jesus Christ uh, before his death, talking about he was going to be gone for a little while, a little while. I've got a good friend, Terry Samples, who has a great uh, ministry called The Little While Place. For those of us who ever have been uh, in a situation where God was gone, for a little while he'll come back but sometimes he's gone for a little while you can't reach him can't feel him can't can't reach out and hear from him and uh, that's what Jesus was saying and then Jeff will be doing the great uh, prayer in John chapter 17 that is uh, you know when Jesus prays for you it's going to be answered and so there's so many wonderful things in that prayer that uh, that uh, that we need and uh, you'll you'll be enjoying that so so be sure and remember that and then at six o'clock we have on Friday, we have the Lord's Supper uh, right in here. It'll be a great time. Uh, and a great, it'll be great for us. Holy Week services are always very, very good. Well, if you'll remember, Jeff was preaching about this uh, God is light and uh, there's no sin in him. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous or just to forgive us of our sins. And John takes up that again. When you read anything in John, but especially 1 John, uh, he states something. Then he goes off and then he comes back and picks it up again and goes a little bit deeper, comes back, picks it up again and goes a little bit deeper. And so now he, he furthers this thing about sinning. How, how should we understand ourselves and sinning and whatever? And he uses one of the key words that will help us truly to understand our salvation. And without understanding this word, propitiation, without understanding that word, it's likely that you'll never fully truly uh, understand uh, the, the dimensions of your salvation. So I just want to read these uh, words uh, here tonight in the first verses. My little children, I'm writing, you these thing, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. When you read the New Testament, there are four words, there are many others, but there are four distinct words that we always have to remember, and it explains something about our salvation. For instance, if you read in Romans chapter 3, there's an indication there of, of these four words, uh, three in Romans chapter 3 and one in chapter 5. The first word would be the word redeemed, redeemer. Redeemer shows the need, the fact that we cannot save ourselves. Something has happened to us in our lives, and we, like the, like the prophet Job said, can a man be right before God? How can, you, how can anybody ever be righteous before God? I've got this stuff in my life. I can't get rid of it. I can't pay for it. I can't, I can't expunge it from my life. I can't get cleansed from it. So how are we ever going to be right with God? He's going through a terrible trial, and he knows God is righteous and he knows there must be something different about me, and I can't be that. So how can I ever match that and have God's pleasure to come upon my life? I think that's the question. People ask it all the time. Why am I so messed up, and how am I going to get out of it? Why is the world messed up, and what's going to be the answer for us to get out of it? 
So the word redeemed and redeemer is a very important word. It points out our need that we are absolutely helpless to save ourselves. There's nothing we can do. We can't be religious enough. We can't start today and be moral enough. There's just nothing we can do to overcome this sin and ultimately the death that we face because of our sin. So we need a redeemer. Just like Israel in Egypt needed a redeemer. They needed somebody, God, to act on their behalf to deliver them from the clutches of Pharaoh. The second word that we read is the word we're going to see tonight and the word propitiation. Some people don't like the word propitiation and even some translations uh, translate this as an expiatory uh, sacrifice, an expiation. And expiation is included in propitiation, but I want to tell you, if you don't understand propitiation, you will never truly understand your salvation. Propitiation says we have a holy God and God by his nature is vehemently and violently against anything that's sinful, bad, or, or untoward, if you will. Anything that comes against his nature that's not right, he actively opposes. And some people don't like that about, they, they don't want to attribute to God wrath. But the Bible says, for instance, in Ephesians chapter 2, that we are dead, we were, were talking to Christians, dead in our trespasses and sins. And we were uh, walking according to the course of the world and then the prince of the power of the air, the devil. And then he said, and you were, you were uh, rebellious. We were rebellious in our minds and in our nature. And he said, we were by nature children of wrath. In Romans chapter 1, the Bible says that the wrath of God is poured out against all ungodliness. And people don't want to attribute that to God. They want him to be a God of love and mercy. But the problem is, is we don't understand wrath from God's perspective. When I think of anger and wrath, I think about people being mad at each other and wanting to be vindictive and want to get back at somebody or take revenge on somebody. But that's not the wrath of God. The wrath of God is just the turning of God away from that which is holy toward that which is not holy and, and exhibiting that which would destroy that or remove that. The wrath of God is kind of interesting. In Romans chapter 1, it said the wrath is already poured out on these people. They didn't honor God. They didn't thank God. And anybody apart from God is in that condition. You knew there was a God. You just denied him. And you became foolish or vain in your speculations. And then the Bible says God gave you over to a depraved mind. And God gave you over to these untoward lusts. And so in your body and in your mind and in your relationships, everything falls apart and you can't ever get it right. And so that is the wrath of God upon us. When he takes his hand off of us and says, you live under some other domination, the world and the flesh inside you and the devil. And so we're under the wrath of God. But propitiation says that God did something for us that we couldn't do for ourselves and that he, 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 he put all of his wrath against all of the sin of all times and all of the world past, present, and future, and he took that wrath against all of that sin and he placed it squarely upon Jesus Christ as he nailed him to the cross. And uh, so his wrath against us, you and me, was placed on Jesus Christ and Jesus is the propitiation. That's what it says. The next word is the word righteousness or justif justify or just or whatever. So if you read in Romans chapter 3, it said, how can God be the just, that is the one who exhibits justice against the sins that we have and the wrath that should come for that, and the one who at the same time gives us righteousness or makes us righteous? Well, he's able to do that because Jesus Christ took all of that wrath. And there's no more wrath between us. And when we receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, then guess what? We're given this gift of righteousness. He writes in Romans chapter 3, he said, we've come to understand we have a righteousness not that according to the law, but according to the grace of God. And so he, he's just and he, he's merciful. He's loving and he's wrathful at the same time. 
It's the same character, but he's not angry like we're angry. He, that's not the way it is. He, he, he's just. And so the, the old preachers used to preach this sermon. I used to love to hear them. Uh, and everybody preached it, so I don't know who ever preached it first. Probably some, somebody anyway. But they would say, justice called for us, but mercy answered. How can God exhibit justice in our lives and then yet be merciful? Well, he can't unless that wrath is appeased, unless that wrath is taken care of. Unless the wrath that exhibits itself to the pain and the punishment or the penalty, which is death, is, is exercised. And he did that when he sent his son. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And that's the fourth word. This idea of reconciliation. He did something at the cross that opened the door for him then to justify us. And then in justifying us, he, he can save us by justifying us, giving us all the righteousness of Christ. And then he can sanctify us as we grow in to all of that righteousness that God has given us. <clears throat> well, John is writing here in these two verses. And he says, look, I'm not saying that you ought to just be overwhelmed by the fact that you're going to sin. God knows it. You know it. I know it. Little children, he says, I, I'm writing to you that you might not sin. The goal is for you not to sin. But if you do sin, we've got, some, we've got some strength here. It's not just a confession of your, your sins. It's not just a, just a cleansing of, of uh, your sins by God. But there's something else operational here, something that we stand in. We've been given a position in Christ, and with that position, it can never be taken away. And he explains exactly what it is. The first thing he says, would you notice in the Bible here, he says, I'm writing that you might not sin. That means this, these pop-up sins, not some habitual, habitual sin where you don't care if God knows about it or not. He's talking about somebody that's really good because we live between two extremes. The one extreme says, well, you know what? I'm just a sinner. I'm just going to do this forever, and there's no use. You know, why even bother? And the other says, well, if we're forgiven for all of our sins and it doesn't mean anything, then I'll just sin. It doesn't, Christ will take care of it. No, in the middle of that, he says, look, there's this path that you walk on into and unto righteousness. But he says, sometimes we sin because we're sinners. Sometimes the flesh takes over. Sometimes we, we yield to the temptation of the flesh or the devil or the world. But he said, I'm writing to you that you might not sin. But he said, if you do sin, here, here's some of the, here's some of the uh, resources that we have that are ongoing. First of all, we have an advocate. Does your Bible say advocate? Look at your Bible tonight. Does it say advocate? Anybody have a different word there? You can shout it out if you'd like to. Well, guess what? It's the same word as the word comforter in the Gospel of John in chapter 14 and following. It's paraclete, not parakeet now. Paraclete, which means the one who comes to stand, stand beside you and the one who comforts you, the one who will aid and abet you in whatever need that you have. Jesus said... I'm going to ask the Father to send the other advocate, the other comforter, the one who can come and be with you forever. He is my representative. I'm going to be the advocate to the Father. He's going to be the advocate on earth to you. The advocate, what a great, powerful word it is. It's the continual application. Jesus continually stands before the Father even when we sin and continually appropriates his death, burial, and resurrection for us. The forgiveness of the sins. And it doesn't happen like this, but if we could cheapen the illustration at all, it would be like this. Oh, Gene has sinned again. The father is ready to pour out his wrath upon Gene because of his sin. But there stands one between the advocate, the father, between the father and the sinner. And he says, no, father, remember, I died for his sins. I paid the penalty of his sins. I experienced death. I experienced all your wrath one time. And Jesus died once for all, right? That we all might be justified. 
And so there's a continual advocacy that Jesus has. He's always before the Father, as it were, presenting our case as saved people, as cleansed people, as those who sometimes sin, but those sins now have been covered, past, present, and future. Not that we continually sin because it's fun. Not that we continually are in, in, in desperation because we do sin. But we're trying to overcome those things and live into the righteousness that we've been given. And Jesus continually applies before the Father the power of the death, burial, and resurrection that he experienced on earth. And so there is no charge against us. Oh, what a sweet scripture in Romans 5, 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's not, it's not sometimes peace. It's not a ceasefire for 30 days. It's peace forever because of what Jesus did. We couldn't do that. Sometimes people will say, uh, well, you know, I think God is just a, a loving God and really he, you know, he'll, he'll do this and he'll do that and whatever. No, no, you need an advocate. It's always amazing to me how people depend upon the universal love of God and they don't want anything to do with him. But let me ask you a question that I think is at, at least a, a modicum of sense to it. If you don't want to do anything, if you don't want to have anything to do with God on earth, why do you think you want to do in eternity? Why do you think you want to be in his presence in eternity? You can't stand him on earth and all of a sudden it's going to be all right? It doesn't work. That's illogical. So we have this advocate. We need an advocate. We need somebody to take care of our sins. And that's the way it is. All right. Then it says he's, the, he's Jesus. That, that's Jesus Christ. That's the, that's the God man. That's the man God. Jesus identifies with us. He'll save people from their sins. That's what his name means. Jehovah saves. Joshua, Jesus, all of these kind of things. And then he's Christ. He's the Messiah. He's the, the Holy One of God. He's fully God, fully man. The ma natures didn't co-mingle and co-mix. And so he's the one who died for us. The man like us died for us. And we can, we can trust him because he was in all points uh, living his life like we were. He knows what it means to be betrayed and to be tired and frustrated and all these things. He knows what it's like to die because he died for us. And so he's the one we can trust. He's our advocate. He's Jesus Christ, fully the God-man. Then here's our word, propitiation. It says, and he himself is the propitiation. Now, here's why people don't like that word. But I want you to listen to me tonight because it might help secure your salvation in a way you never thought about before. People don't like the word propitiation because it comes from ancient Greek usage where people would propitiate gods. They thought these gods were... Uh, you know, uh, mean and uh, not good and all these kind of things. And so they didn't want God, this God to be angry or this God to be angry. So they would make some offering, something to propitiate them. Well, what does propitiation mean? We use the word propitious sometimes. It means to be favorable. It's a propitious day, a propitious job opportunity or whatever. It's favorable to us. So he becomes that which makes us favorable to God, brings us into a fable, favorable relationship with God. But if we don't understand the wrath of God that was poured out on Jesus Christ, we don't understand the nature of salvation. Let me ask you a question. Do you think anybody in the world, right up until today's time and in the future, ever thought this? I messed up. I'm a sinner. The world's messed up. And what we need is for God to become man and live a sinless life and then be crucified in an unjust death on the cross and be buried and resurrected. Really? You think anybody would have ever thought of that? 
We need somebody. They could think about we need to appease a God and, you know, we'll offer a child in sacrifice or a goat or something. But they would have never thought that God himself, but the Bible says God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This propitiation is huge. Here we are helpless and hopeless in our sin, asking like Job, how can we ever get right? How can we ever get the favor of God back on our lives? We might not have quoted the scripture, but universally around the world, they know we all sin and we've come short of what we could be or what this creator, whoever he is, ever wanted to make us. How can we ever be right? Because God has every right to pour out all of his judgment upon our sins for we have all like sheep have gone astray. We've turned each one to his own way. We're in rebellion against the Lord. Isaiah said, you know what? A donkey knows its master and an ox knows its master. We've forgotten the Lord. We don't know the Lord. And so in asking that question, God determined to provide the answer. He sent the sacrifice. He sent the propitiator. He, in Christ, took everything that was necessary upon Jesus on that cross and dying on the cross satisfied everything everything, everything that God would ever have against any of us. He died not only for us, but for the whole world. He died for the world. Now, not all the world receives him, not all the world appreciates him, not all the world uh, worships him or whatever, but to as many as received him, to receive him, gave he the power, the right, the authority to become children of God, even to those who believe on his name. When Jesus Christ was dying on the cross, he did the one thing, that nobody else could do, and he did the one thing perfectly. Why? Well, we learn in the Old Testament that when you offered a sacrifice, it had to be a sacrifice of blood because that was death. And we learned that it had to be a perfect lamb, if you will, or a perfect uh, little bullock or whatever. It had to be perfect. You couldn't. He was perfect. He lived a sinless life. And we realized that in the death that was covered, Jesus didn't cover our sins. He took them away. He was the perfect sacrifice, giving his life once for all that he might bring us to God. I love what Simon Peter says. He says that he was the just for the unjust, dying the just for the unjust, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. He was perfect in his life. He was perfect in his death. He satisfied everything that God the Father required for us to be reconciled to him. We just think about being saved. God thinks about coming back to the family. God thinks about us being reconciled to the family. And reconciliation was an impossibility. It was something that God himself by his nature could not and would not do because had he done it any other way, it would have violated his own character. Death had to be exacted for the sins of the world on a perfect person. That's why God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And so Jesus Christ was our propitiation. God who gave us Christ, we didn't do that. We didn't ask for Jesus to come and die for the cross. In fact, some people today still think it's immoral to even think like that. But God said to our total helplessness and hopelessness, I'm going to do something for them because I love them. Justice is going to be exacted, but mercy and love is going to be extended. And so Jesus comes and he dies. I tell you, if you think about that long enough, you'll never sing Amazing Grace the same way. 
You'll never sing my Jesus, I love thee. I know thou art mine. Oh, my goodness. You'll never think of it the same way again. He didn't deserve that. But it says he wanted to do that. You remember what Jesus said? He said, nobody's going to take my life. I lay down my life willingly. If I lay it down, I can pick it up again. He knew the price he had to pay. The Bible says he was slain before the foundation of the world. Before we ever sinned the first sin, Jesus knew what would happen and said, Father, I'll go. I'll do it. I'll be the sacrifice that's required. So he did this. He took the condemnation that sin brings. He took the wrath that sin brings. He took the judgment of God that should have fallen upon us. He took the pain of crucifixion. He, put, he took the death that you and I died, should have died. He was our substitute. Listen to this. Because he was our substitute in death and judgment, we can walk into his righteousness that he offers in resurrection. This is what Easter is all about. He's the vicarious one, the substitute for us, suffering for us when he didn't need to, but because he wanted to, he desired to, that we might be saved. And so he suffers, and we were suffering with him. He was our representative. And when he was resurrected, we walk into the righteousness that he offers. But it's even our faith that's a gift. For who would believe this? This sounds like a, a mystical, fanatical story, doesn't it? But faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. God reveals himself in time and space and history. He didn't do it on the mountain somewhere. He didn't do it in the backwoods. He did it on the cross for everybody to see. What did the centurion say? The cross was so powerful that he said, surely this man is the son of God. What did the thief on the cross say? Remember me when you come into your kingdom. There was something about the death of Christ that was different from his own death, that was different from the death of his uh, fellow thief, and while one railed against him, oh, the other got it. Surely, surely you can remember me and, and when you come into your kingdom. Well, he said, I'll remember you today. You can come with me to paradise. Oh, hallelujah, what a Savior. And so he took all of that for us that we could walk into his righteousness. The perfect priest who is also the perfect sacrifice who gives us the perfect salvation in Jesus Christ. Then we can be reconciled. The abiding comfort of our lives is that we're now reconciled to God. And he did that. It wasn't we, you know, when I think about reconciliation, I think about two people who are arguing or fighting and they make up. Well, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. We're dead to God. It was God who moved to us and reconciled us and brought us into the family. How sweet that wonderful thing is. The work of Christ, it was finished on the cross. But his work in heaven is not finished. He's the continual advocate. He's the continual intercessor. He's the one who has sent his Holy Spirit so that we might continue to walk into sanctification, walk into the righteousness, this gift that we've been given in Christ, and we can walk into that righteousness. And that's why John writes, and he said, I've written you so you might not sin because of all that's been given. Forgive me for this, but it's, it's something I always think about at Easter. I know I've told you this story before, but I want you to be moved by it again like I'm moved by it thinking about this. It's not just that we were declared righteous, but something happened to begin to turn our lives around. I, I'm reminded, and you're going to have to walk with me a little bit in my sanctified imagination because I'm making up a story here. But you remember when the Gadarene demoniac was delivered from all those demons? And he wanted to go with Jesus. You remember that? He said, let me go with you, Lord. He found the answer. Oh, my goodness. He found the answer. The devil was gone. And Jesus had cleansed his life and changed his life. He said, let me go with you, Master. And he said, no, no. 
you don't need to do that. You need to go back to your village. Well, remember, he was a half-naked man. He might have been naked that day. He would tear chains, you know, he'd tear chains. Uh, they, couldn't, they couldn't do anything with him. He'd run him to the grave. He would hurt himself and cut himself and all this stuff. Here's what I imagine happened, because the same thing happened to you and me if we really got it. Now, if you're depending on some little decision that you made that you did, you don't understand what propitiation is. If you're saying, well, I was baptized in Grandma's church, that, that, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about utterly hopelessness, and you realize it, and you, you come to the point where you can't do anything about it, and you have no hope in this world, and God breaks through and gives you the gospel and tells you that Jesus is enough. Trust him, and it'll be all right. Back to the gathering demoniac. In my mind's eye, I'm making this up. I believe when Jesus said, go back to your town, he looked down, he got a piece of chain. And he walked and he clinked that chain as he walked. Clink, clink. I, I imagine down the road he had two little children and they're playing in the yard and they see this figure coming down that they recognize. They run in the house in fear and they say, oh, mama, he's coming home. Is he going to beat us? Is he going to tear the house up again? Is he going to fight people in the town? Oh, mama, she puts him back like a mother would, bars the door. He's walking down that road, clink, 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 and there's kind of a noise that's coming out of him. They've heard noises before, but this is a, like a different sound. She, she cracks the door just a little bit, and she said, I, I think he's singing. I believe there's a song. And then she hears it, and she opens the door wide, and she says, children, let's go out and meet Dad. He's come home. Clink, song, clink, song. You know what I imagine he's singing? Jesus is the sweetest name I know, and he's just the same as his lovely name. That's the reason why I love him so. Jesus is the sweetest name I know. He's different. Oh, my God, he's different. You're different. I'm different because Jesus died on the cross and took all of the penalty for us. We were nothing. We had no hope. We were desperate sinners, destined for the enormous, immense, unyielding wrath of God. But in a moment in time, in space and history, Jesus died on the cross, willing to be separated from God. God, why are you forsaking me? My God, the God I knew in heaven, the God whose glory I share, the God whose angels I direct, God whose creation I created. God, why are you forsaking me? And the answer came back, oh, this is justice. Because if justice isn't exacted, then mercy can never call. Justice is calling you tonight and me. But God in his mercy answers with Jesus. Is he not the sweetest name you know? I, I don't know what you'll do in this Holy Week time. But if you leave out of here tonight and never thank God for Jesus, it's a crying shame. If we can leave here tonight and just take for granted the violent death of the perfect Lamb of God for our sins, it's, it's a terrible shame. But if we can leave here tonight thankful, let me tell you what propitiation does. First of all, it satisfies God so it secures our salvation forever. Security means he's going to protect us. He sent the Holy Spirit so he can lead us and guide us and direct us through our troubles and our difficulties. He's never going to leave us or forsake us. We are protected from the devil. 
So much so that the Bible says if you just resist him, he'll flee from you. The devil's defeated everybody in the world except a Christian who'll stand up and say, oh, no, 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 wait a minute. By the blood of Jesus Christ who came to destroy your works, you better go somewhere else. That's what we have, protection from the devil. We can overcome our flesh, those things that rise up in us and makes us want to be autonomous and get away from God. And we say, no, 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 no. That flesh doesn't work any good thing. Holy Spirit, fill me right now. Control me right now. That's what we have. Securing our salvation because God did it all. Jesus paid it all. All to him I know. Sin and left the crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. We have everything because of Jesus. If he gave his all, can we not give our best? Why would we want to sin when he put him on the cross? Why would we want to sin when we don't have to? We might. He said, I, I write to you that you may not sin. You might not sin. But if you do. Instead of beating yourself up and rolling around and wallowing in self-pity and self-condemnation, just remember, look up, and maybe a star or the moon will remind you that there's an advocate in heaven who never gives up. And for eternity, he says, Father, they're ours because of what I've done. Our propitiation, our advocate, our brother, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the one who reconciled us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you tonight. We thank you so much for what you've given to us in Jesus Christ. And you know, to say that, Lord, I thank you so much, I don't even know what that means. That doesn't, it's words, I don't know. It's not enough. It's not enough. It's not, it's not what we feel. We can't get the words out when we, when we think about this. We, we can't get it up. We can't get what we need to say. There's just nothing. We can't write the words or say the words. There's just not enough. We don't have the vocabulary to express what the perfect son of God has done for us. So Jesus, just accept this babbling tongue, this limited vocabulary, but a spiritual heart of thankfulness, joining other spiritual hearts of thankfulness in this building tonight, for we are thankful. Hallelujah, what a savior. And heavenly father, thank you that Jesus is enough, our advocate, our intercessor, our propitiation. Thank you that in your great plan of salvation, Jesus was always going to be enough. Thank you for condemning our sins on him, in him, and giving us the gift of righteousness and eternal life. And so we, we can answer the question, how will a man be right before God? In Jesus Christ, in Christ alone. Oh, Lord, how we thank you for that. You're the fount of every blessing. You're the star that guides us. You're the person who never leaves us. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for coming to live within our lives as jumbled and confused as they get sometimes. Thank you for leading us and guiding us. Thank you for securing us in salvation as the promise of better things to come. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. And we can't wait for that day that you return to reign over all this world when every tongue and every, every knee bows, every tongue confesses that you are Lord. We're waiting for that day. We can't, we, we, we can't wait for that day. It's so important to us. And Father, you're a good, good Father. And we're loved and we thank you for that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.